You know, as we think about our kids, we think about that song just so encapsulates the kind of emotions and thoughts and hopes we have for our kids. But more than that, I think it's also God is our parent. That would be a great song he'd want to sing over us, that we would dance and enjoy the purpose and meaning and fulfillment of our lives that he has for us. But I know as a parent, one of the biggest lies I tell myself, and as I get older, I'm more and more catching myself in that lie, is the lie of, I've got plenty of time. I've got a 16-year-old now, a 14-year-old, and a just about 5-year-old. And that time goes so fast. And instead of capturing the time and using these moments to interact with my kids, I have a tendency to say, well, I'll get to that later and I get lulled into passivity as a father. This last summer, I, I sort of got, was struck by how quickly the kids were growing up. I gave Beth a gift of a staycation, and I took Javen and his best friend, Sierra and her best friend, and Quinn, my four-year-old, all on vacation at a lake house, just us, for the, for the week. I got lots of points, didn't I, honey, for that? I got lots of points for that. Well, we had a great time interacting. We, we boated together. We hung out together. We had a great time. We cheered each other on. I got to know their best friends in a little bit deeper way than I had before. And I was coaching them you know, along the way, you know, coaching them on how to ski, coaching them on how to surf behind the, the, uh, the, the boat that we were learning to surf behind. And then I also was coaching them on, hey, if you're going to get on the jet ski, just be careful. Lake Norris looks very similar. You can get lost very easily. I've done it before. Yeah, 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 Dad, we're fine. Seriously, stay by the side so you can make your way back or fine. So Sierra and her best friend Aston take off. The boys and I are boating along for a little bit longer and half hour goes by, hour goes by, two hours go by and we can't find the girls on the jet ski. So we begin to wander around looking for a jet ski on Lake Norris. There's thousands of them. So we're looking for the one with two girls. There's none with two girls anywhere nearby, but there's one that's sort of red like the jet ski we had with one girl. So we start chasing this jet ski, trying to not look like stalkers as we're chasing this uh, teenage girl on a jet ski. And and I think that's her. No, it's not her. Maybe it is. Let's just find out. So we pull alongside. Sure enough, it was her. Like the friend, not my daughter. Aspen, what's up? Where's my daughter? Well, funny thing happened. Uh, we, We got lost. And we, 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 we were going to run out of gas. We found a marina. We got to the marina. We put in gas. And we realized we had no money. So they said we had to leave something there. We didn't have anything to leave there. So I left your daughter there. And then I went back to find you guys. But I don't have my contacts in, so I can't see real well. So we went back to, to the marina to get my daughter. And I thought, she's going to be terrified. Put on your dad hat. This is a moment of grace, not a moment of lecture. And I said, man, honey, I, I know you must be scared. And she put her arms around me. Oh, my goodness. And, and, and we had lots of uh, just sort of tender moments. I waited until later that night and said, a little bit of coaching here. Um, number one, I've been lost on the lake. I've been boating for a long time. There's some real key lessons here on, on not getting lost. Two, check you have money before you put gas in. Three, if you do get lost and have to leave your friend as ransom, don't send the blind girl to go find the people. It just reminded me what we're going to talk about today in the parent map, which is that the role we play as parents, especially in these teenage years, are so critical. And I thought, boy, there's such a limited window I have left at which to interact with my kids about these important things about just life skills and and relational skills. Because coaching is really about this. We We are training 
or teaching our kids to leave. But we're also reaching them for life. We want to teach them to leave. And that means part of that leaving process is being able to handle themselves spiritually, handle themselves financially, handle themselves with basic life skills, learning how to have a relationship, how to be in a relationship. But I've got a real tight window to teach them to leave and be successful. But also I want to reach them for life. Because I want to have a friendship with my kids for 50 years, not for three or four. And during the difficult teenage years, and I know those can be difficult, don't miss out. And that is a window of a much longer, much larger scale, long-term relationship. In order to do that, I want to tell you a story. It's a bizarre story in the Bible today. And then I want to give you three applications. And my hope is that all of us will learn how to make the most of whatever time we have. Whether our kids are teens, or they're grown up, or they're still elementary, or you're still in the process of thinking about having a family. Let's make the most of the time we have. Let me tell you the story. The story I affectionately call Rabid Granny. Rabid Granny. Now you might wonder why in 2 Chronicles chapter 23 is a queen by the name of Thalia. And she goes nuts. And I call her Rabid Granny when I've taken the kids through this story in the Bible over the years. Because when I was a teenager, my brother loved these B-rated horror movies. In fact, I would walk into his, uh, downstairs, he was watching TV, and he would watch Gilbert Godfrey's USA Up All Night. And they would have these B-rated movies, and he would give commentary on them. And I'd walk in and say, what are you watching today? And one day was an actual movie called Rabid Grannies. About a bunch of grandmas who got rabies and went crazy and turned into zombies and ate all their kids and grandkids. In fact, I looked it up. Because I thought, maybe Ryan's the only one who ever thought of this. And sure enough, there's a movie poster of Rabid Grannies. Look at that. That is an actual movie. I was down in Atlanta working with a volunteer one year. And I said, you probably never heard of this crazy movie. It's called Rabid Grannies. True story. He says, what? Rabid Grannies? I said, yeah. He said, you're not going to believe this. I was, went to college in New York. My roommate's grandmother was in it. <laughs> so I call this. Okay, take the poster down. Next slide. I call this story Rabid Granny because this is about a grandmother who went crazy. She went crazy. She was so power-hungry to become queen that she kills off all of her children and all of her grandchildren so there's no attacks to the kingdom. And meanwhile, to set this up, one of the grandsons, a man named Joash, joins a blended family. His uncle, Jehoiada, and his aunt, Jehoiabeth, actually rescue him from danger. They have an intervention with evil to get him away from rabbit granny and to begin to coach him. And in the midst of this process, they bring some principles to bear that we can use in our parenting as we're trying to protect our kids from evil and intervene with them. So here they are. Number one, coaching, that stage of coaching with our kids is a, it's a six-year sense of urgency. Andrew Hoshebeth and Joash stole him away from the king's sons who were being murdered and put him and his nurse in a bedroom. So Jehoiabeth's aunt hid him from Athalia, that's Queen Granny. He was hidden from them in the house of God for six years. Now imagine if your aunt and uncle raising Joash, you know you have six years to train him to be prepared for the kingdom. You have six years to train him with how to handle the opposition of rabid Granny when you get back. She doesn't know he's alive. And you have this ongoing sense of we've got to teach and equip and relate and prepare this child for what's coming. They didn't have the luxury of the lie I have as a parent. Oh, i got plenty of time. 
They knew they had six years. And for many of us, when we look at our teenagers, when we look at the influence and the, and the window of influence we have with our kids, that window is very short. And we need to remind ourselves what Jehoabeth and Jehoiada knew, which is this is a six-year window during this stage. The second thing is that coaching is a time of spiritual connection, spiritual renewal, spiritual training. Jehoiada was a priest, and he knew that if he wanted his king to have the morals, the connection with God, the relationship with what is right and wrong, the discernment, he needed to work hard to train him up. Sort of a fast-track version of the Bible and understanding the Bible. He had six years to train him spiritually. The third thing they did during this time is that they set a vision for his future. Remember, rabid granny's in charge. She's killed off all the king's sons and grandsons. But as they're training him, they set a vision for his life. Your life matters. You have a meaning. You have a purpose. God has plans for you. They said, behold, the king's son will reign as the Lord has said. God's purpose for your life. You are one of the last remaining sons of the king. And God is going to use you in powerful ways. And that set a vision for Joash's life. Next we find that they are cheerleaders. And and part of the role we play as parents in the coaching stage is cheerleading. We're cheering for our kids. We're helping them set set goals. We're being to work with them with the, the, the needs they have and the challenges they need. But we're also cheering for them. You did it. Way to go. What's the next challenge? I'm here for you. And when Joash becomes king, Jehoiada and his sons annoyed him. And they are the first row. They're the first ones to say, long live the king. Way to go. We are for you. This is what we've worked for. This is what we've hoped for. This is what we've prayed for. But then they want to prepare him for temptations. And part of what we do as parents is we need to help our kids handle temptations. Know how to keep away from them, but also that doesn't always work. What happens once you give in to them? What's the next step? How do you find forgiveness? How do you make your way back? And one of the major temptations during that time was the prophet, um, these idols, they were called, big statues of Baal. And all through life, the, the temple of Baal became a place of prostitution. It became a place of idolatry. It drew people's heart away from God. And so Jehoiada begins to teach him and show him how to tear down the temple of Baal, how to get those temptations out of his life that had really haunted the kingdom for so long. But they talked about these things. They prepared for these things. Lastly, they felt like they needed to teach their kids or train their kids uh, about how to trust through giving. That handling their finances was, was a key part that they wanted to teach him, but also that by giving a percentage of their income to God, they would learn to trust God as their source, not just an uncle to be their source as they moved into the future. So when he becomes king, something interesting happens. Joash did what was right in the sight of the Lord. The six-year window, they coached him well, all the days of Jehoiada the priest. Go out to the cities of Judah, this is Joash speaking, and gather from all Israel money to repair the house of your God from year to year. And see that you do it quickly. So he's pretty excited. Boy, I'm now the king. I want to use the resources I have to be about helping other people, about doing God's work, about giving to God's work. And he, the king, now turns to his uncle who mentored him and said, Hey, I was reading in the Bible myself the other day, and it says that we're supposed to give a percentage of our income away. You're the priest. You're supposed to be in charge of this. Are you doing that? Have you gone to Jerusalem for the collection according to the commandment of Moses for the tabernacle of witness? And I love these principles that we see here. We see parents in a blended family using this unique window of time to coach, uh, to cheer, to invest, 
to, to set a vision, to prepare them for their career, to cheerlead them toward that, to help them handle temptations, and also teach them how to trust God through giving. All while preparing for the opposition that is rabid granny. So what are the applications for us? How can we follow the example of Jehoiada and Jehoshabeth? Well, let me give you three applications. Number one, they teach him to launch well. We need to prepare you spiritually to launch, financially to launch, morally to launch, relationally to launch. They prepared him to handle temptations. And then third thing they did is they helped him prepare to trust through giving. These are these three applications we're going to look at. So let's look at the first one together. The first one is to launch well. How do we prepare our kids, teach them to leave, and with the skills they need to leave, but also reach them for life with these skills? Well, spiritually is one of those. What Jehoiada did is he gave a... a, a during his time, his relationship with this kid during those teen years, he used it as a chance for spiritual preparation. So we've been using this diagram, and specifically the coaching stage, age 12 to 17, we've talked about a student driver. We're in the, the car with the kids, and we're helping them head toward the, their future. What is your goals? What do I recognize in you? What are strengths I see in you? I want to get to the place that the bulk of our relationship is, I'm your consultant. In our relationship from 18 on to, you know, the time I die, we're going to have a friendship. I want to reach you for life, but I'm going to be a consultant. But during this small window of time, this six-year period of time, I want to work alongside you. I want to help you be prepared for this, to launch well, to be ready for the future you have for you. And part of that spiritually. And let me just give you some tools to, to help um, your kids spiritually. You know, one, many of us didn't grow up with the Bible. We don't know the Bible real well. So, you know, we passed out these fast-track Bibles a few years ago. You can get these off our website. In 55 pages, you can basically understand the major themes of the Bible. If you go to our website, horizoncc.com, there's a PDF of that you can download. This is a chance to equip yourself so that you can begin to pass these lessons on. Uh, if you're a better person to listen to audio, here's uh, all the Bible in uh, four CDs. You can listen to it in the tape and have these conversations with your kids. Over the years, when my kids were in elementary, I, I gave them this. I love this. I had this when I was five years old. It's the picture Bible. It's the entire Bible in comic book. And I love this thing. My love for the scriptures began when I was very, very young because I loved, while the boring sermon was going on, I was reading the Bible. And it was so much better in here. It's called the picture Bible. As your kids get a little older and you want them to fall in love with the, the message of, of the Bible and, and the, the God of the scriptures... They hired the guy from Marvel Comics to take that book and make it cooler for guys. So if you've got a, a teenager or you've got a middle schooler who uh, you know, loves comic books, this is the entire Bible, but more in a manly Marvel Comics type style. And so we'd read through this as a family. We'd do devotions together on this. It was just a fun way to do it. So that's some of the ways that you're preparing them spiritually. Another thing you want to do is just get into your kids' hearts. You know, talk about what are your goals, financial goals, how can I help come alongside you, what are some things you want, how can we put some responsibilities in place. Uh, this is a book that I use um, periodically. It's called The Complete Book of Questions. It's a thousand and one questions, so I'll you know, pull everybody. We've got to stay at the table for 15 more minutes before you all run off, and then we'll pick a number between one and a thousand. And these are just different questions that you can ask. What's your greatest fear? What's your strength? What's the best thing that's happened to you recently? And I find that this tool helps me come up with better ways to sort of get into my kids' hearts. So that's one, the complete book of questions. 
But what you're doing is you're trying to find ways to connect with your kids. If they want to be married one day, they're going to have to learn how to listen. They're going to have to learn how to handle conflict. They're going to have to handle their own anger. J.H. Ranch, who has a similar process to this that you can take your kids through, you can go uh, for a week together with your kids. And they said the number one fear of teenagers today is not knowing their purpose in life. And the number one fear of parents is not passing on their values. Well, ironically, this kind of process, this parent map we're discussing, allows you to help your kids discover their purpose and begin to be trained for that purpose and allows you to begin to teach and instruct those values that you're scared you're not going to pass on. So that's why this process is in place. Now, part of that we talked about using these speed limits. That as the kids are growing up, you're increasing their liberty. At the same time, you're increasing their responsibility. So we've used the idea of different speeds of liberty. Kids are whatever age you pick, but they want a certain level of speed limit in their life. They want to go 35 miles an hour. They want to, you know, have their own freedom on music and technology. They want liberty and be able to spend some money on stuff and movies and pick, uh, pick their own movies and go to the mall. So tie that to, hey, we want you to be able to do that. We're on the same side. But in order to have that kind of freedom, there's certain responsibilities you need. Hey, we want to train you in the Bible and be able to sort of know what's right and what's wrong. Maybe you want to have some goals for them related to the honor roll. Maybe you want to have um, some chores that they do to begin raising some money. We'll talk about that in a moment to, to be able to provide for themselves. Then maybe they get a little bit older and you, you increase the speed limit to 45 where they choose their friends and, and clothes and dating and cars and curfews. But you tie those directly to work, to life skills, paying for a percentage of their gas or paying for a percentage of their insurance. You say, well, we don't need the money from our kids to pay for gas. Yeah, yeah, but they need to learn how to handle their money. They need to learn the direct connection between work and expenses and opportunities. You're teaching this. You're coaching them. You're equipping them for life. Because as the speed limit gets higher, you know, they want to go their own education. Maybe it's paying a percentage of their education. You're saying, hey, we sent our kids off to college and, and they goofed off all the time and wasted a whole semester. Well, maybe if they paid even a small percentage of that, they'd have a little more ownership. That responsibility is going to help give ownership to this is your vision. You're sending to school because you wanted to have a job, because you wanted to have a career. We're trying to help you prepare for your future. Might be uh, jobs and money. I'll talk about the 80-10-10 rule in a second. One day they're going to want a car and food and rent. And so part of what you're doing is you're preparing them during the teen years to start paying a percentage of the expenses so that when they get to the place of launching, it's not like I go from zero to 100. Whew, I didn't like the fact I had to pay 10% or 15% as I got older, but boy, now I feel ready. I feel equipped. I can launch because parents have worked me through this process. So that's part of launching well. Uh, I remember a friend of mine, his uh, dad's the CEO of a large company, and when he was growing up around this area, his dad said, sure, we could pay for you, but you've got to learn how to run a business. You've got to be an entrepreneur. So at a very early age, age you know, junior high-ish, he said, I want you to learn to start your own business. What do you mean? So he started restringing um, everybody at the country club over in Kenwood uh, at the tennis place. They needed their tennis racks restrung. So he learned how to start his own business, and he would restring people's tennis rackets. He learned customer service. He learned how important quality was. And he learned at a very early age how to start his own business and how to have that with a restringing business. Josh McDowell was here a few weeks ago. He said that he required his kids in junior high to start their own business. In junior high, I thought, I thought I was doing all right. By the time they were in high school, he required them to have a business with at least one employee, whether it was mowing grass or whether it was shoveling snow. But they had to have one employee so they could learn 
how frustrating and how difficult it is to manage people. I thought, man, that is smart. He felt like his window was he had to have them prepared by the time they left high school. I'm like, oh, I, I'm really behind the eight ball if that's the case. I remember my father took us uh, skiing one time. We went skiing to some friend's house. I was in junior high, and we got done with this week up at this lake in Michigan, and he said, we need a boat, don't we? I said, yes, we need a boat. He said, what about you and I try and work together to buy our own boat? Well, how would we do that? So we set a goal. We want a boat. He said, let's start our own business. And so we actually went neighbor to neighbor, and everybody had blacktop, little blacktop driveways in our neighborhood, and they almost all need to be sealed at this point. So he said, well, let's bid on it. So we went neighbor to neighbor and, and said, hey, we'll, we'll reseal your blacktop. And so we did that, and we went to this auction, and we bought this big old crummy tank that we filled up with, with uh, blacktop sealer fluid. And all summer long, my dad and I were out there working together. We were, we were laughing together. We were all oh, chemical burns together. We were jumping in the pool. Oh, it's the only thing that feels good. We sweat together. We made $1,500, the two of us together that summer. And we went through Craigslist, as it was trading online back then, and we found our first boat. And this will always be the most beautiful boat I've ever seen in my life. It's a 16-foot tri-hole runabout, outdoor motor, blue metal flake. And I remember at night, it was at a used car place that we went to. I remember getting there and afraid it was going to be sell out. And we left a note. We got back up the next morning at 4.30, and we got there, and we bought this boat. And I loved it. It was Dad working with me to set a goal, to teach me how to be an entrepreneur, how to set some goals, and how to move forward in that. I'm doing that with my kids. Javen and I are starting a video production uh, business together. That uh, We're just getting all the parts together this week to have the video center up ready. Uh, Sierra loves balloon animals, so I've, I helped her get into Chick-fil-A on Tuesday night. She does balloons over there, and, and you can see her Texas Roadhouse. Whatever it is for your kids, help them begin to set goals and, and see the skills and entrepreneurship they handle. That's part of launching wealth. The second thing is handling temptation. The second skill we see is the need to help them handle temptation. These are the five things that will blow up your life. And these are the five things that will blow up your kid's life. So if you're saying, hey, I don't have a parent that's irrelevant. No, no, these are five things God wants to parent you in. Five things that will blow up your life. Ego, anger, lust, materialism, and bitterness. Having been a pastor for 20 years, these are the five things I see blow people up. There's other ones, addictions and other things as well, but these are the five that I see more regularly than ever. And so part of us coaching our kids is teaching them how to handle ego in appropriate ways, how to handle anger. Don't just say, be quiet. Teach them why they feel the way they do, how they feel. What's an appropriate way to to disagree? What's an appropriate way to handle your anger? And if you don't do it, They're going to take their inability to handle anger into their marriages. So that's why this time is so critical. And if you say, well, I'm not good at that. Well, we, as the more mature in the relationship, we've got to get good at it. We've got to discover how to handle our own anger. And we can authentically say, Dad's not good at this yet. But here's what I'm learning. And, boy, that speaks so authentically to our kids. Last year when Javen turned 14, Beth and I sat down with him and said, we're worried about pornography. And, and part of that is you've got an Xbox in your room, and you've got your iPad in your room. And i got to tell you, you know, I'm a guy. It doesn't matter how hard you work. It doesn't matter what you do. It, it's always there. So, buddy, we want to actually give you Quinn's playroom, which is on the first floor. We're going to tear it all out. He, well, Quinn doesn't get any of those toys anymore. We're going to make you an incredible gaming room. But the rule is all the computers, all the iPads always happen there in that room. It's on the first floor. We get to see you more often. Hey, it's our son. He exists. Oh, he's gone in the room. He comes out to get a snack. Oh, it's a Javen sighting. And he's gone. 
And I'm telling you, that was a great, authentic. I've sat in several times at night. I check before I go to bed. Hey, is your iPad charged downstairs? Oh, sorry, Dad. I'm telling you, buddy. Man, the time I'm most tempted is at night when I'm alone and when I have access to technology. This isn't like rule, rule, rule. This is Dad saying, this is what blows up your life. Let me help you. Let me tell you, I'm a fellow struggler. I'm not here to judge you. I'm here to say, this is how you, 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 you best protect yourself for purity. When we go to a movie together, we have a movie night every Tuesday um, that we take the two teens. We get a babysitter for the younger. And, you know, we'll go to a movie that's, you know, PG-13 or occasionally go to an R. You know, I tell Jim, and I said, now listen, when we go to one of these movies that's got the, you know, topless girl or whatever, you know, or, or big love-making scene, you know, I look down. I don't want to look down. But I started this when I was in, in high school and junior high. I look, I mean, in, in college, I started looking down during the, the scenes like that. And now mom will sort of nudge me, okay, the scene's over. I said, buddy, I don't want to look down. I don't want to look down. I want to see what's going on the screen. I've just learned if I want to stay pure, if I want to recognize my own brokenness, it's what I've got to do. So this is the system I've put in place. And sometimes that system's not going to work. And so what do you do to ask forgiveness? And how do you find God's mercy in the midst of it? These are so critical that God understands this. And one of the things we rescue our, 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 our kids from as well is materialism. So part of teaching them to work and pay a percentage of their income and expenses is we're rescuing them from materialism. She was going to junior prom this year, and uh, we paid some money for her prom dress last year. But I was so excited. We had some friends over the other day, and she said, I bought my prom dress. I'm like, she didn't ask me for money. She asked you for money? No. Praise God. Let's see your prom dress. She comes in, and she shows up this incredible prom dress. We're like, wow, and this necklace and these shoes. We're like, wow, where'd you get that? How much was it? $170, whatever it was. It was marked down, marked down, marked down, marked down. Seven bucks. Seven bucks. It was incredible. And part of that's come from my wife. You know, we are thrifty shoppers. We like the best bang for our buck. We like high quality, but we like to really tell the story how we got a great deal on it. And I'll tell you, this didn't start when she was 16. This started when she was younger. And we began to say, hey, you can buy it with your own money. Oh, well, then I'll look for something else. Oh, then I want a better deal. So whatever age your kids are, start that process. And lastly, the last skill that we saw is faith through giving. Faith through giving. And I call it faith through giving because when you teach your kids to give, you teach them to put their trust in God. That's the most important thing. God doesn't need the money. The church doesn't need the money as much as they need to learn how to be generous and how to combat materialism in their life. And so what we started doing, when the kids were in elementary school, is whenever they made money, allowance, whatever, we've we've had these things forever. And they put 10% in the giving fund. So you can see we haven't given in the last couple of months. They've been collecting it here. So here's some money from refereeing that Javen got and some money from Sierra's job. So it goes in. Oh, actually, this is just Javen's giving. Okay, so I have another one for Sierra. So they put 10% of their money in a giving fund. And this teaches them, I'm trusting God. He provides for me. It teaches them, boy, my money's just not about upgrade, upgrade, upgrade. It's about giving to other people. We started this when they are in elementary school. Uh, Sierra's now doing that as well. Now she's got four or five jobs. And that is so key because they're learning to trust not mom and dad is the source, but God is the source. And then we have another 10% that they can give um, for savings. And then the other thing is love it. Money is fun. Use your money for fun. But we want you to teach these skills to learn it. And Sierra, um, as she's learning new skills, we want to teach her how to budget. And we know there's electronic versions to do this. But I have found with kids, these sort of coupon buttons, you can put money in, in this section and this section. So this is her, you know, she wanted a bunny the other day, so a few months ago. So we said, we're going to pay for the bunny supplies. So she's got a bunny section here. She's got a gas section here. She's got to pay a percentage of her insurance here. 
And this is so helpful for kids in particular because and rather than just go to the debit card, it's like, oh, I'm out of out-to-eat money. So if I'm going to use, go out to eat again, I'm taking from my clothing money. Very, very helpful in electronic generation for kids to be able to see where the money's coming from. If you can do it electronically, that's great. I find with kids in particular, very, very helpful to use that as you're teaching these skills. Now, part of that ends up putting a mirror on us as parents and saying, well, we don't manage real well. We don't give very much. So again, I would use this as a challenge to yourself to say, man, I'm not giving even 1% of my income away. So start talking with your parents. You know what? Uh, Chad gave this talk, and we want to start trusting God more with our giving. And so we're going to, the first check we're going to write, here it is. This is the first check we're writing. It's to God. And we want you to start doing that because we want to start putting a trust in God. We tell our kids, you know, if our first check is, here's how much it is. We let our kids see our budget. We want them to be equipped. Here's our priorities. It's in our budget. So these are so key, these things that we're teaching our kids. In fact, uh, Sierra jokingly, uh, Beth used to keep this in the freezer back when we used to do the envelope system more often. And so Beth called it our cold cash. It's not there anymore, so don't come to our house to rob us. We don't do that anymore. But the kids remember it, and they said, oh, the cold cash. Mom's cold cash. But the point is they saw us demonstrate this and talk about this. And we had a giving fund, and we had a tithing fund, and we had a separate giving fund when needs came up. Three things that can help our kids launch well. Teach them to launch well. Start now, whatever age they are. Two, handle temptation. And three, learn to trust through giving. But here's the problem. I heard a joke years ago that said when you first come across parenting, you hear a book like The Ten Commandments of Parenting. Then you become a parent. The Ten Principles of Parenting. Then you have teenagers. The Ten Ideas that might work as you're trying to relate to your kids in parenting. There is so much grace from God because God is the one perfect parent and all of his kids rebelled. All of them. So even if you do everything right, does not mean that the kids naturally always turn out right. But God works with us and God wants to work with us as parents to say, well, how do you just start where we are? And you know, Sometimes we're like Jehoiada and Jehoshabeth. We're having an intervention with our kids. And we're having an intervention with them to rescue them from the evil. Sometimes it's evil from the outside. It's Queen Athelia. It's other groups. It's other temptations. But sometimes we're rescuing them from their own uh, evil inside. You know, their lust, their anger, their, they just have lost track. And as loving parents, it can just be heartbreaking. I walk with parents all the time through these seasons. Oh, this is so hard. And I'll say, I know it's hard, but at least they're rebelling while they're still under your roof. I know that sounds bizarre, but at least now you can still have influence and walk with them and guide them in some way during this time. And so I want you to hear a real story of a, of a, a family in our church who had to walk through a difficult time of intervention and they had to walk through it through the tears and the difficulty of knowing how to do that in the midst of the embarrassment midst of the challenges so i want to give you a, a warm welcome to uh, to my friends tom and michelle gill can we invite them up well guys thanks for being here you're welcome thank you tell me a little bit about um for the circumstance that five years ago six years ago that led you guys to uh, some difficult decisions? Well, you know, we always wanted to be good parents. Um, and, and we tried our best to be, to be good parents and give our kids the right guidance. And, 
so on and so forth. And one of our children just decided, you know, and I think it comes from all the outside influences, but one of our children just decided that, you know, he didn't want to be a part of our family anymore. And, uh, you know, he became very defiant. He became rebellious. Uh, he got wrapped up into temptation. And uh, Michelle and I were struggling with this for for some time. And uh, I remember one time Michelle was up at the lake. And um, well... A problem arised, and um, I was by myself at the lake, and Tom called me and said, this is what's going on, and I'm like, okay, I'm done. Um, I can't live like this any longer. This is interfering with our relationship. It's interfering with our other son's relationship, and uh, we just have to do something about this. And I just, what gave me the strength more than anything is I just heard God speaking to me and saying to me as a mother, you got to let go. Uh, you got to let me take over, and you have to have trust. And you were worried about him, so it was, it, you saw yeah. the, the ramifications to the whole family, but you were worried about, we're losing our son to something, temptation or rebellion, right. whatever it is. He's hurting, right? Well, good kids get sucked in. Yeah. And exactly. uh, that's exactly what happened to ours. And, you know, Michelle and I sat there and talked about it, and we said, you know, our child today is 16 years old. And a year and a half, we can certainly let him wander off and, and go to college. We can make it another year and a half as parents, and we can let him go to college, but but what are we going to have yeah. when he goes to college? Is it going to be any better? Certainly not. And uh, so Michelle and I made the decision at that time that the right thing to do was intervene. And... Um, 5.30 in the morning, maybe 6 in the morning, he was sleeping. Uh, we walked into his room, and, and uh, I said to him, you know, things aren't working out for our family the way we want them to work out. And um, these people are here to help us, and they're going to take you away, and I want you to know that your mom and I love you. Yeah. That was... One of the hardest things for me ever. I bet it was. Yeah. I was fortunate enough um, through that time as a mom. I mean, you don't ever want your children to leave you, of course. But um, uh, I had a good church, and I had great friends around me that prayed on me. And I, um, I was, you know, thank God I had scripture that led me through this. And I knew... The day I heard God's voice that we were going to make it to this. It was not going to be an easy road, but it was going to come out good. And I just praise God for that because it's been a great journey. Tom and I both learned from it. We both went through counseling as our son was going through counseling. So it was a family venture. Mm -hmm. Um, So we all grew. It wasn't just our son that was growing. We as parents, we had to learn new parent skills and acceptance and love. Yeah, I remember when Tom and I went to lunch a couple times, talked about just how this whole thing was shining a mirror on things you needed to work on and uh, things that uh, you you guys were worried together and you were crying together and and, uh, working together as a couple. And I remember 
Yeah, as we were talking uh, yesterday, you, know, you said one of the hardest things is to let your kids experience the consequences of their actions. Yeah. You know, especially as a mom, you want to protect your kids from all that. And yet part right. of this coaching stage is more and more, once they launch, they're going to face the consequences. Right. You, you, you want to, but then, so how did you let go and let, them, let him start to face these things? Like, what internally did you have to do? Um, well, a lot of praying. <laughs> a lot of praying, okay. <laughs> A lot of praying. And I surrounded myself by... Uh, with a lot of good Christian women and men and friends and uh, family. And um, Tom and I worked together a lot um, on this situation. Well, Tom, what are some of the lessons you learned during that? Or are learning, still learning through this? Well, i got to tell you, I, I never realized, probably initially the lesson I learned was, you know, our kids have second families. And those second families are the influences out there. It's their friends. It's who it is. And, you know, as we're trying to coach and guide our children, there's sometimes a defiance that, that sets in, and they don't trust what we're saying. And sometimes they feel like, you know, maybe we're coming down on them, and, you know, we're hurting their self-esteem, and we aren't. Um, you know, building them up and doing the things that we should do. And, and um, so they go to this second family to get acceptance for who they are. And uh, that's, where, that's where they get their self-esteem from. So I've really learned, I really learned about the second family and how big an influence that had on our son. Um, and through that, you know, Michelle and I, when we intervened, we, we, we really learned about ourselves and we had to listen. We had to be patient. Michelle and I went in there with a common goal or went into this really with a common goal and a common vision for what we wanted our family to be. And, um, you know, we had to listen to the counselors. We had to be patient. You know, as much as you want to speed things up, you got to let your children go through it on their time, not our time. And, um, you know, so through all that, I think, I think that we really learned about, about him, the way he thinks, mm-hmm. how he thinks differently. How important it was for Michelle and I to be on the same page and have a common goal. Um, I remember yesterday you mentioned that you guys were, so it wasn't like you guys outsourced this and you're done. You guys were actively involved. There was homework for you guys to reconnect with your child's heart. Part of that was you guys had to write a letter every week from the two of you to affirm the love and the commitment. And so what was it like writing a letter, a husband and wife writing a letter together? Not easy. I don't know how many of you have ever tried to sit down with your spouse and write a letter from a common ground to a son or daughter of yours, but it's hard. Yeah, It is really hard. But it taught us a lot about ourselves and a lot about parenting to Andrew at that time. Yeah. So it was a very helpful tool. Yeah. So let's fast forward. It's been five years. Yeah. So tell me a little bit about what, what have you learned now? What's your relationship like now? Are you glad you did that uh, as hard as it was, uh, as brutal as it was? Now we can dance. Now you can dance. Definitely. <laughs> 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 That's awesome. <laughs>
You know, I think the greatest thing, uh, look, when we were going through all this, there was a real lack of trust, you know, and uh, he didn't trust us, we didn't trust him. And today, today we truly have trust amongst us. We don't agree with everything he's doing, and he certainly doesn't agree with everything we're doing, but we do trust one another. And there's no hidden agendas, and there's, you know, it's been a great, rewarding uh, journey for us. And I think that uh, God has, you know, led us down that path, put us, put us in front of people that guided us and mentored us through this. And uh, yeah. it's, it's, it's been an awesome journey, and, yeah. you know. And you said if he was with us today, he'd probably talk about how that process for him taught him a lot about his emotions and his, right. his anger, how to, how to figure out who he was. And you've right. appreciated his, uh, his honesty that now he knows what he's feeling and says it. And you guys can have that sort of forthright relationship now. Right. He has great communication skills from what he's learned. And uh, we can, he, you know, he'll tell us everything, sometimes way too much information. But, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but it's a good thing. You know, yeah. it's awesome because now we know how to relate to what he's going through. And he can relate to what we're going through. So, and we have respect for each other. Yeah. Now, do you think you'd have what you have now if you hadn't been through this? No way. No way. Yeah. No way. So as hard as it was, God worked in the midst of it. Yeah. There was, yeah. There's joy at the end of it. So much yeah. joy. Good. So for those who are in the process of that, yeah. um, boy, to, to, to depend on God for his strength. Yeah. But also know that one of the things you need most from God is forgiveness. Yeah. Forgiveness from him for the ways we all blow it as parents. Forgiveness the ways we hurt each other, you know, your spouse, and you're trying to handle this pressure. Right. And, you know, the, the hurts that we give to our kids. I, I told Sarah the other day, I said, someday you're going to realize how much Dad screwed you up. And, and I want you to know, please call me, tell me what I did, and I'll be the first to forgive. Um, because we need forgiveness is the secret to how we get through this kind of stuff. Right. Well, can I pray for you guys and pray for everybody who might be in a situation like Thank that? Thank you. Sure. Father, we are so thankful that you are a God who pursues those who are in trouble. You pursue those who are broken. You pursue those who are rebelling. And God, we've all, we, we're the rebellers. We're the traitors. We're the ones that turn from you. Thank you that your forgiveness is so powerful. And I ask that you would give hope to every parent who's here, every grandparent who's here, every troubled marriage who's here, every person who's going through a difficult season of life, that God, that you will parent them in the midst of it. And they can find you as their source, as their friend. And as their Savior. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Can we thank these guys? Thank you guys so much. I'll give you a chance to respond to God in prayer as we finish the service today. And maybe you want to bow your heads with me. Maybe you just want to say, God, I, I need you to parent me. Say, God, I need your coaching in my life. Maybe think of those three areas. God, I need to launch into some new areas in my marriage. I want to launch my family into a new place, and I don't know how. Help me. Teach me. Strengthen me. Maybe as I talked about temptation, you're painfully aware that you're in deep in temptation. It might be ego, anger, materialism. Maybe you want to take this time to confess. Say, God, I agree with you. I'm stuck in temptation. God, I need your forgiveness for that.
God, but I need your leadership to know how to resist. I need your leadership to get free. Maybe today, and this will probably be the boldest prayer you'll pray. Jesus says you can't serve God and mammon, that money in whatever way keeps you from trusting Him. Maybe you want to make a commitment to God. I want to start being a financial giver. Not because I feel guilted in any way, because I want to trust you in deeper ways than I do right now. And I want to model for my kids how to trust you in ways that they're not right now. God, we thank you for the legacy of your word. We thank you for the legacy of your son. We thank you for the legacy of, of parents and grandparents who poured truth into us. That we push aside the, the areas of dysfunction that we got from our parents and grandparents. But Father, we also embrace the principles they gave us that were strong. And Father, we honor them for it. And we ask you for guidance and direction as we move forward in our lives. In the power of your name. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you so much for being here today as we continue in Parent Map. If you did come prepared to give, there's some offering boxes on your way out. And if you're going to come to our Easter service, we'd love to have you there. We have seven services. One's already sold out. You can get tickets over by the fireplace. Thanks again. We'll see you next week.